Welcome to All Things Vegas, nourishing self-care for the helping professional. During our time together, we will explore a wide variety of topics relating to self-care, all especially geared to the helping professional. Our guests are all thought leaders and cutting-edge providers in their respective fields of endeavor. They will offer not only helpful insights, but practical skills that you can begin to use immediately. Arwen Kittleson Aldred is a trained instructor of Kundalini Yoga and meditation as taught by Yogi Bhashan. She is also a classically trained musician and brings her skills to sound therapeutic practices and workshops. Arwen is currently at work earning her master's in social work. Arwen, thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. Really appreciate you calling in. Yeah, absolutely. I was really excited that you thought to reach out to me. Can you elaborate a little bit more on how you got started in that whole industry and help us understand that whole idea of sound a little bit better? Yeah, absolutely. I really got started as a musician when I was seven years old. My parents told me that I was going to study a musical instrument of my choice, but whatever it was, I had to study it for seven years. And I decided to study the piano and very quickly the piano became the safest place for me, the place that I felt most like myself, the place that I went to help myself calm when I was feeling upset or disoriented or something was kind of throwing me off kilter. For me, music has always been a place that I go back to. And creating sound has always been a really important piece of that in my life. And about 13 years ago, I went through a really tough time personally. And one of my best friends took me to a 10-day silent retreat, a 10-day silent like uh, Vipassana retreat. And it was an exceptionally powerful experience for a lot of reasons. But one of the reasons was that it was a silent retreat, right? So we weren't talking. and But that didn't mean that there wasn't sound, right? There was the sound of people making small movements to make themselves more comfortable in their posture. Like when we went from the meditation room back to the rooms where we slept, there were all of the sounds that were created by the grass and the crickets. Throughout that 10 days, I really became much more aware of how I personally rely on sound as a way to take care of myself. And when I didn't have access to things like my piano, which had kind of historically been my safe space, like this is how I take care of Arwen. And what do you do if Arwen doesn't have a piano for 10 days? Well, that doesn't mean that I have to be a mess for 10 days, right? (laughs) And so that was really when I started learning a lot more about sound. And then I got exposed to a whole new world of different instruments, kind of starting not that far from that time. Like a body talk practitioner that I was seeing started using some singing bowls when we would have sessions. And one of my best friends from music school, I did my bachelor's in piano performance and a dear friend of mine really got into playing the crystal singing bowls. When I visited him for the first time, and I think it was like 2011 or 2012, I was really fascinated by them. And I had this knowing, I was like, there's going to be a point in my life where I'm going to play the crystal singing bowls. It isn't right now, but it is going to happen. 
in 2016, I moved back to Missoula after having been away from Missoula for, I think, 13, 14 years, maybe. I moved back and several months later, I happened upon a Himalayan singing bowl training that was happening. A teacher was brought into town. So I went and I did the training and I was just immediately fascinated and really got into working with Himalayan bowls, which are kind of the metal version of the crystal singing bowls, but they have a much longer and different history. At one point, I was planning a class of really specific meditations that called for the playing of a gong. And me being the musician that I am, there was no way I was going to do something like buy a CD and play a CD of somebody else playing a gong. So I was like, well, I guess I better learn how to play a gong. And that was what really got me started on my gong gonging experience. That was like 2017, 2018. And yeah, then it just kind of blossomed into this beautiful thing. And I realized that all of my musical training really gave me a different experience of the singing bowls and the gongs and all of these instruments that are so different from something like classical piano, where you need to run your scales and arpeggios and all of those things to really keep your scales up. And it's really different playing these instruments, but it became something that was really soothing and amazing for me. And I saw really quickly that it was also really beneficial for the people who tended to seek out my classes. So the idea of the fact that, of course, what we interpret, what our brains interpret as sound, of course, is a vibration. And they believe that they have an influence, different vibrations have different influences on different parts of the body, depending on what range the vibration is in. Is that correct? I would say that's something that people have really different experiences. I was trained in this really fascinating approach that used singing bowls at different pitches that were specifically targeting specific chakras in the body. And that was a really cool and powerful experience. But there were multiple approaches to that. Like there was one school of thought where it was basically like a major scale C to C. And then there were other approaches where like the specific tone of the bowl didn't matter. So I feel like that's something that a lot of people have really different and varied experiences in, which is always really fascinating to me. Like I would have people come up to me often after a sound bath and they would say, gosh, there was one bowl you played. And when you tapped that bowl, I just felt it immediately all through my heart. And that bowl was never the same for two people. So everybody had their own really unique responses, which was one of the things I really enjoyed about it is I think that everybody responds so differently, like to specific sounds and specific vibrations, which is like such a fascinating thing to think about. So I think that speaks then to what also seems to be like a really important component of this whole idea about using sound and the role that it plays in how we care for ourselves is the idea that we have to and I know this is maybe going to sound a little odd, but we have to learn to listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I really feel like listening is a practice because we live in a society where we are constantly surrounded by sound. One thing that I 
always loved about wandering out into the mountains when we lived in Montana was that I wouldn't realize how noisy my life was until I was out like several miles away from electrical lines. And then all of a sudden I would have this moment of, it's so quiet. And it would feel that deep, deep quiet. And then I would realize it wasn't quiet. There were all of these other sounds that my brain was tuning into because the constant hum of things like electrical lines that our bodies and our nervous systems are just so accustomed to it because in our world, if you live someplace with electricity, you're always around electrical lines. You can't avoid them. And so our body just learns to kind of tune a lot of these sounds out because listening to everything would be incredibly overwhelming. It would be incredibly difficult for us to really function at our best. And so our nervous system does this great favor of tuning stuff out. They're like, oh, you don't need to listen to the electrical buzz. That's fine. We'll just like tune that out for you. But then that doesn't mean the sound isn't there. And it doesn't mean that we can't choose to tap into it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. We do have, because it's really that the sound exists regardless of whether we're actually paying attention to it or not, it's still there and that we can either tune into it and notice it and use it in some way, or we don't. Yeah, exactly. It was really interesting. Yesterday, I listened to a podcast where they were talking about, I forget the name of this researcher, but there's a researcher who was doing research into the way that sound moves through water, like specifically in the ocean. And basically, one of the things that they found was that sound moves through water very, very slowly compared to how it moves through air, which would basically mean that some sounds could still exist in the ocean like generations of humans after they were first made, which was so fascinating to me. Like the example that these folks gave was like the example of like slaves who in in the middle passage would jump off the ship so that they did not have to become enslaved when they arrived at the destination of the ship. That the sounds that they made as they went into the water and everything, that those sounds still exist, that they're still there out in the oceans. Just because we're not actively hearing them doesn't mean that they don't exist. Like they show up on radar. And I just thought that was so fascinating and such a really good reminder that what we hear is largely what we listen for and what we listen to and what we're acclimated to listening to. When we really think about this idea of how we can literally start to use what we understand about sound and how it can be present without us noticing, then we learn to use our sense of hearing and our ability to hear sound in a way that is helpful, healing, in a self-care way. What would you say are some ways that we could start to do that? Me, it always comes back to really being deliberate about noticing things. Like if you really want to start working with how can sound support me, what sounds are supportive for me? There are a lot of questions, right? And there are such individual answers to them. Like, I I wish I could give like a checklist to follow, but the only thing that I can really attest to is that 
really focusing in and paying attention. And I think that's why sound meditation can be such a useful tool, like using singing bowls and gongs and these sounds that our nervous system is usually not acclimated to, like walk down the street and hear somebody toning a singing bowl typically. And so I think paying attention to the ways that our body responds to new and different sounds, paying attention to oh gosh, I heard that sound and maybe my shoulders got really tight all of a sudden. So that's information, right? Like that tells you something, that particular sound, your nervous system doesn't experience it as a relaxing place. And so I think it all goes back to like that heightened self-awareness and really paying attention to all of the signals of the body, not just like, oh, that sounds nice or that doesn't sound nice, but like paying attention to like any immediate reactions, like any places where tightness like appears or disappears or all of a sudden something like get a little twinge in a knee or shoulder or something. All of that is really telling and that's all really useful information that people could just start to gather and notice. Everybody has such different experiences of what sound registers as soothing for them. In the days when I was a special education teacher, I had one student who was a very unusual seven-year-old, mostly because he loved opera. That was his thing. And if he was having a really rough day, I would get a much better response from him if I tried to mimic an opera singer's voice like, right now it's time. And he would light up and be ready to engage. And then I had other students, when they got really agitated or upset about something, they would start like singing Rihanna or they would start singing Lady Gaga. And so that really showed me that everybody has such different sound that registers as soothing. And what, at first, when I started teaching in my classrooms, I would sometimes play in the background music that I personally registered as soothing, which was ambient music that I felt was really relaxing, but it didn't have the same impact on the other people in the classroom. And I was like, huh, well, this is really interesting. Okay, so we're going to bounce between Verdi and <laughs> Lady Gaga and with a little bit of the ABC song thrown in, like, all right, cool. <laughs> you know? A lot of it is just paying the kind of attention to our own response to sound that we pay to a young child or somebody in our lives that we really care for, where you give them all of your focus, especially if they're going through something or you're trying to help them figure something out, giving ourselves that same level of focus, attention, and really noticing, hey, this is something that works for me, or hey, this is something that really does not work for me, and then modifying our approach to it accordingly. What I keep hearing you come back to is this is a lot deeper of a practice or a question, actually, than just what you like in terms of I like that song or I like that melody or whatever, because what I keep hearing you refer to is that what is your body doing? What is your somatic body response? Is I mean, is there tension someplace? Do you feel something grabbing or something or is it letting go? Is it relaxing? Is it feeling more fluid? That's a really important point. 
is to recognize that it's not just what you recognize as, oh, I know this song and I've always liked it, is it's also about the sound makes my body feel fill in the blank. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things that over time we can kind of develop an arsenal of ways to support ourselves. Like, for example, I have some specific types of music and sound that I tend to listen to in the mornings when I know I'm going to have a really busy day. I really need to be extroverted and I'm more of an introvert naturally. So when I need to bring out the extrovert side of my personality, I have specific music that I listen to and I listen to it only for that purpose. And it puts me into a specific state of mind, but also a a specific like level of physical energy. And so I feel like paying attention to the whole because it's easy to be like, oh yeah, that song's great. Oh, I never really liked that band. Not my thing. Okay. But everything intertwines and impacts everything in our world. It's unavoidable, right? The conversation that we are having right now is impacted by so many different factors. The more that we as humans can learn to see and practice integrating everything all together rather than kind of compartmentalizing things into little boxes, I think that is where a lot of the really powerful self-care practices can come from. Whether it's sound or something else, frankly, like maybe like physical movement, like how does this practice impact me holistically? Playing off of that, and again, and this is in service of not necessarily creating a checklist, but to give people some really practical things that we can do. So when we're talking about recognizing that a lot of us are not really necessarily naturally very good at tuning into our bodies. We tend to be up in our heads, and I think a lot of us are familiar with that territory. We're really talking about using our bodies as a meter to kind of tell us where we are. It'd be really great to be able to gauge all of this, but if you don't know what you're looking for, where would you start? Because we're talking about mindful listening. We're talking about on purpose paying attention to sound, whatever it happens to be in our environment, and the influence that it's having on our bodies? I would start with noticing changes in the musculature, noticing if things are tightening or loosening. Are things contracting? Are they relaxing? That's something that that most people probably have a little bit more experience of. Like they have a stressful day and they're like, oh man, my neck is so tight right now. Oh, that was a stressful day. My neck is tight. So that's a good place to start is like those really overt physical signals that the body sends. So actually paying attention to what your musculature is doing. And that's that's a nervous system response as well. So that would be a great place to start. And then... I would imagine that the next possibility might be to begin to explore what are the things that I can pay attention to if there's tension or tightness that I can pay attention to that reverse that help my body relax, not me relax, but help my body relax. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that can take many different forms. One thing that is often recommended, listening to the sound of our own breath, because that's something that's always there. It's always available to us. 
and it changes. Typically, our breathing patterns change. Like when our body gets physically tight in the muscles, usually our breathing pattern kind of speeds up and the reverse is true. So when everything is starting to relax, like often our breathing cadence will slow down. And so that's a really interesting thing that is always available, even in times where it's like, oh, I can't put on headphones and listen to something that I know is really relaxing and soothing for me right now. But I can take like 20 seconds and just tune out everything that isn't the sound of my own breath. And so using a breath to create the sound, that then gets you to a more relaxed physical state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Is there anything else that you feel like is pretty accessible to people if they don't have, for example, an ability to get to a sound bath or something that would actually help us get better at mindful listening? Is there anything that you else that we could that that people could practice or do? A couple things come to mind. One of them is walking without headphones. Because when I walk without headphones, I notice my environment in an entirely different way. And I notice that the sounds are just as loud as whatever podcast or piece of music that I might have been planning on listening to if I'd had my headphones in. So I feel like walking without headphones is a really useful tool. And another one is cataloging and noticing like the sounds that are really soothing to you and seeking them out. And there's so many different ways to do that. There's all kinds of different things you can listen to on on platforms like YouTube, for example, Insight Timer, SoundCloud. There's all kinds of stuff that you you don't need to necessarily have a membership or pay for a subscription in order to access them. And so those are two things that I think would be really interesting for people to kind of explore. And would that fall more in the category of a sound bath? There are definitely a lot of people on YouTube who do sound bath. My friend from music school, actually, he has a YouTube channel that is entirely sound baths bowls. And he's not the only one. There are a lot of musicians who put up various like guided meditations with music or without music. And you could probably just search like YouTube sound bath and get a whole bunch of hits. And maybe some of them would be great and super relaxing. Just to clarify, so we mentioned sound baths a couple of times. So can you expand out a little bit on, first of all, what a sound bath actually is and What is the role of that kind of experience in terms of calming the nervous system? Yeah, for sure. Sound bath is a commonly used term for what I typically refer to as a sound meditation. But basically, the idea is that the listeners are in a relaxed position, oftentimes lying down. And the whole idea is that as the leader guides these participants through the sound bath using different instruments, different tones, different patterns, different cadences, that the vibrations of all the various instruments interact with everybody's body. As an example, like we all know that the human body is primarily water, right? Depending on who you ask, it's 60%, 70% water. And we know that when you skip rocks on the lake, the water gets disturbed by the jumps of that little pebble. 
And that ripples out. That ripples very far out. You can skip one teeny tiny rock and the ripples may go on for minutes. And so extrapolating what we know about that to our bodies, when we introduce these different vibrations into our bodies, that they impact the waters of our body and disturbs our equilibrium. We all come into a sound bath in whatever state we show up in, and then the vibrations kind of disturb the equilibrium. And then we have a different experience because our waters aren't moving in the same pattern that they were. And then throughout the sound bath, the patterns change, the vibrations change. And then at the end, the waters of our body have an opportunity to settle into a new and different equilibrium. Recognizing that a lot of our, of course, nervous system impulse conduction is done by water, done by fluid in the nervous system. It starts to get to be really interesting when you think about the role that all of that plays in how we're doing. Uh, absolutely. The impact that water has on our bodies. I think it really can't be overstated because it is such a large proportion of who we are. It just impacts everything about our body, like the cerebrospinal fluid. That's a form of water that carries all of these magic things and keeps our body going. And if there are issues in that particular water, then issues show up elsewhere in our body. So I feel like that's something as humans, like it's really important to recognize is that all of us are water inescapably. Hey girl, I really appreciate you spending time doing this episode with us. It was great information and really appreciate your expertise in this area. Oh, absolutely. It was my pleasure.